0: To walk in the truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. We're so glad that you're with us. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 78 as we talk about investing deeply in the next generation. This is our uh, Out of the Shallow series. This is where we're talking about what it means to uh, go deeper in your relationships. We began talking about going deeper in your relationship with God uh began going deeper in relationship with others around you based on the great commandment, which you remember says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind and strength and you love, your neighbor, as yourself. So we begin talking about what it means to dive deeply into relationships. Last week it was about marriage. This week is about passing it on to the next generation. Psalm 78. Would you stand with me as I read Psalm 78 and the first eight verses there of that psalm? Psalm 78 is written from the background of failure. It's written from the background of a generation that did not follow God. And so, now the psalmist is saying to the present generation, we don't need to be like those who failed to follow God, failed to pass their faith on. And you'll see why as you see the instruction. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known. And our fathers have told us, We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength, and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, so that the generations to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. That they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. All about investing in the next generation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity today to look at the important calling we have to pass faith on, And Father, to understand the responsibilities we have and also the challenges and the complications we have in passing faith on. But Lord, give us today under the illumination of your Holy Spirit all we need to be faithful to do that. And I ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Please be seated if you would. You know, one of the things I like to watch on television besides football, and by the way, I am really glad football's back on TV today. Can I get an amen? I mean, that may be my best amen all day. Yeah, I've got some guys back there clapping their hands. It's the Cowboys tonight, so we never know how we're gonna feel on Monday, right? But I love to watch track and field. I love to watch, especially the relay races, where a baton handoff is critical to the success of a race. I like the four by 100 meters or the four by 400 meters where these incredible athletes are are running uh, with a beautiful form, their leg of the race, but also the complication of what it means to hand a baton off from one runner to the next, and then for that second runner to take its course, and then the third, and then the fourth. And really, it's it's unusual that the team that is absolutely the fastest on paper wins the race, Because so much depends on that baton handoff. Because you move from a relatively simple movement of running to a little bit more complicated movement of handing it off to someone else that's running. And that's why these great runners a lot of time in relay races. They spend a lot of time preparing with the baton handoff. I've learned there are three different styles of baton handoff. Who knew? But everyone has the best way to hand off that baton because it's so critically important. And Sometimes the fastest runners in a race don't win the race as a team because they fail to pass the baton off. I want you to think about that with me today as we talk about This Psalm 78, because really it's all about passing the baton to another generation of people who can understand what it means to believe by faith in God. Everybody wants the next generation. Have you noticed that? Culture wants the next generation. Some of you young people in the room today, I assure you the whole world is focusing on you through social media and advertising and everything else. They want your heart. They want your life. They want your morals. They want everything about you. Businesses want you, and they want the next generation. Their marketing strategies are are built in order to gain business for the next generations for life. So companies pursue this all out. But the people that really need to want the next generation are people like us, who want to pass faith on to the next generation. A well-worn statement, but altogether true, is that Christians live just one generation away from extinction if we don't pass our faith to the next generation then who will pass it to the following generation it's such an important thing Because faith is passed on, not just by transfer, but by example and by word and by teaching and instruction and all the things that we'll talk about today. But it's incredibly, incredibly important. Now, let me give you some facts as we dive into Psalm 78. And it's going to say everything about the why. Why do we need to be talking about a psalm written thousands of years ago? And and why is it relevant today? Let me tell you why. 80% of high school graduates moving on to college who have been involved in church and have held to the faith of Jesus Christ, 80% of them abandon church, ultimately sometimes abandoning faith in itself before the end of their college years, 80%. Recent surveys say that one in eight professing Christians hold to a biblical worldview. We talked about worldview not too long ago. Some say it's even... Worse statistics than that, more like 1 in 10 who profess Christ hold to a biblical worldview. Now, a biblical worldview would be, uh, very simply put, someone who believes the doctrines, for example, of the Baptist faith and methods that we hold to. The doctrines that are on our website. Viewing life through what Scripture says is true. That's a biblical worldview. It's not complicated. It's not complex. But very few really hold to a biblical worldview Recently, I, I read an article that was probably the most revealing article based on a survey that perhaps was the most creatively constructed survey, getting specific answers instead of just generalities about why young people leave their faith. And, and I found it very intriguing. I want to give you some reasons as to why this survey says people have lost their church involvement and then later on their faith in recent decades. I'll give you five reasons that the survey gives us among about 15 that they detailed. The first was at the top, 24% of those who left church and then later on said left faith, was because of the way the church treated those in the LGBTQ community. It wasn't about whether they agreed or disagreed with the morality of that movement. It was about how the church treated people that were in that movement. 16%, the second reason is They abandoned church and later on faith because of the general behavior of people who said they were Christ followers but didn't look like they were Christ followers at all. They were mean-spirited. They were judgmental. uh, or They were hypocritical, not authentic. Uh, Their faith only seemed to be a Sunday morning only kind of faith. It wasn't real enough for that particular person that answered that way on that survey to embrace it as a whole. The third reason, an emerging reason was politics. That shouldn't surprise anybody. That politics sometimes turns people off to the church and turns people off to faith in general. Here's, here's another reason that, that I think all of us could predict and see coming, and that is loss of trust in leadership. Right. Young people today say we've lost trust in any corporation, in the government, and any position of authority and leadership, we've just lost trust in them. And, and the reality is sometimes church leaders earn that distrust instead of earning the trust they should. And then number five, a problem with intellectual integrity. And basically what they're saying in that is, they're saying that I can't reconcile what the Bible says with tough questions that I can't seem to answer. Questions like, and this was a question that was referenced, how can a good God allow evil to be on the planet? I can't answer that. And that makes me discouraged in my faith and makes me want to walk away from it. One of the most disturbing things I read Uh, were the results of that survey and another 14 or 15 reasons after that. But those were the primary ones. I read recently a man by the name of Richard Rorty who was a a longtime tenure professor at a major university on the East Coast. He said, when we American college teachers encounter Christians in college classrooms, we do our best to convince these students of the benefit of secularization Rather, I think those students are lucky to find themselves under the benevolent teaching of people like me to have escaped the grip of their, uh, their frightening, vicious, and dangerous parents who believe, believe in the Bible. That's what young people encounter sometimes in colleges around the world. So with all those challenges, that gives me the Why? To be motivated to pass faith on to the next generation in the best possible way. We're not the first generation that has faced these kinds of challenges. But it's so important for us to understand what's in front of us. I remember when I was growing up, and I grew up in probably one of the best Christian homes you can grow up in. And I say that. Only having grown up in one home, but comparing with all the other homes that I knew about, my mom and my dad were phenomenal parents. My dad was a pastor, my mom was an amazing pastor's wife. Uh, They were an incredible couple together. They treated my brother and I in just the best possible way. Um, I just can't imagine a better set of parents. And yet, in spite of that, and in spite of the fact that i 'd made a decision to follow Christ as a young boy, I found myself about at the age eighteen doubting my faith, doubting the veracity or the validity of my faith and wondering if I was really born again, really saved, was I really a child of God? And I had a very personal encounter with God, desperate to know God in a real way. I had a very personal encounter with him and never again doubted my faith. But no matter what kind of home you grow up in, everybody has to come to the place where they own their faith and know that their faith is their own. You can't make it on mom and dad's faith. You can't make it on your Sunday school teacher's faith. You can't make it on some uh, book's author's faith. You have to have your own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the wonderful thing about that is that's what God is all about, helping you know him personally. Isn't that great? But what, what we do have a responsibility of doing is passing on our faith in the sense of serving it up for others to understand it from one generation to the other. And that's what this text is all about. What does it mean to accomplish the handoff, the baton handoff from one generation to the other? Now, you may be in the room today, and you may be saying, you know, I don't have any children. This message doesn't apply to me, but it absolutely applies to you because there are younger people around you that wonder why you believe what you believe. It applies to all of us in this room today. Nobody escapes application today. Nobody escapes responsibility. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have an amazing and important responsibility to pass it on to the next generation, and you can do that through Psalm 78 and its instruction. How do we accomplish that? What do we pass down? That's the first point. What do we pass down? What is the baton? Psalm 78 in verse 4 says, We will not conceal them from their children, but tell them to the generation to come. I want to focus on that for just a few moments. We don't want to hide the tenets of our faith. We don't want to hide the reality of our relationship with God. The psalmist says, don't conceal those things from the next generation, but rather tell them to the generation to come. Sometimes when we think about passing on faith or doctrine or truth, we we tend to fall into a classroom mode, but that's not the phraseology that we have here. The word tell is not instruct, it's not teach in the sense of standing up in a classroom behind a lectern and, and others seating in chairs looking your way, but it's more of a conversation that That families or individuals are to have with the next generation helping them know things about God so what are those kinds of things that we first experience and then testify about if you will tell others about it if you will how do we do that what do we tell them In Psalm 78, we have five things that I'll try to cover very, very briefly, very quickly that we are to pass on. If you're taking notes today, I'm going to give you five of these things to pass on. First of all, the first thing we pass on is what we know about God's character. What we know about God's character. Who is God? How how does God respond? What, What is his personality? How does God reveal himself We pass on what we know about God's character. We find that in verse 4 where it says, We don't conceal, but we tell the generations to come the praises of the Lord. That word praise is a word in the original that simply is a general word. It's a word that describes something that we would put in a song or something we would put in a phrase that talks about who God is and our experience with God and how we can share him with others in a very real and a practical way. And it's really about sharing about God's character. You say, well, what do you mean by God's character? Well, when I make a statement like God is faithful, I'm talking about the character of God. When I say God is love, that's part of God's character. And when I say God is a forgiving God, that is his character. When I say God is patient and long-suffering, that is the character of God. When I say God is holy, that's part of the character of God. Anytime I read the scriptures and see who God is in the text, and by the way, quick time out: when you read the Bible, no matter what text you're in, be sure you ask the question, what does this text say about God? Because when you get the answer about what this text says about God, you're finding out God's personality and God's character. It doesn't take a difficult study to know God's personality and God's character. So, what we know about God's character is so incredibly important, and for us to represent that character to the next generation as a complete description of God's character. Now, I'm going to take a step backwards for a moment and address one of those reasons that sometimes people fall away from the church and fall away from faith. And sometimes it's about the attitude that believers have towards those that are not sympathetic. To the morality of the Bible or to the truth of the Bible? At certain times, certain moments, we want to represent only one side of God's character, and that is his justice. We want to say, okay, God is going to zap you. God is going to annihilate you. We want to say those kinds of things. And it could be that we misrepresent the whole character of God. I mean, for the grace of God, go us, right? I mean, God has every right to zap me as well, but I love the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and the loving kindness of God when I'm interacting with the next generation, when I'm talking to people that may not be in sympathies with what the Bible says about what truth is, what purity is, what morality is. We've got to represent God's whole character. Yes, he's a holy God. Yes, he's a just God. But he also extends an invitation for you to come to him, turn away from your sins, come to God and experience his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. So we are to pass on to the next generation the character of God, what we know about his character. I know today some of the quick responses that people have when they hear about God's character, I think those that don't know him often say, well, that's not the kind of God I worship, or that's not the God I know. And sometimes the statement itself is a statement that basically says, I really wouldn't want the God I worship to be like that. And what they're hopeful for is shaping God just a little bit in, in their image. But we really don't have that option, do we? We don't, we don't have the option of shaping God in our image. We don't, we don't get to define God. All we get to do is choose whether we follow God or not. And that's why it's important that we pass on to the next generation a very well-defined, detailed description of who is God and what is His character and what we praise Him for. It's so important that we do that well. Yes. Amen. The second thing that we're told to do in passing this baton on is to teach what we know that He is able to do. You see that next line, it says, and His strength in verse 4. That's just a reference to the strength and the fierceness and the power and the ability and the might of God. And when we see that, when we see God's might and his power and his ability, when we read about it, when we experience that for ourselves, we are able to talk about what God is able to do. Now, I will say this for today's generation. We live in a generation where, where we think every answer that we need in life comes from man himself. Somebody's going to invent something to get us out of this mess, right? Like artificial intelligence. I can't wait for artificial intelligence. I mean, intelligence is only one of two words that describe it. The other word is artificial. It's not real. But today people look at artificial intelligence as a hope to solve some of the problems of the world. We have all kinds of ways that we look for those to solve the problems of the world. And I'm not saying we shouldn't use technology. I'm not saying we shouldn't use uh, human ingenuity. But what I am saying is we should never forget the ability of our God to do above and beyond anything else. Never, never should we ever think that anything can replace God's wisdom, God's power, God's ability, God's strength. And so it's important for us to talk about God's power, even in the most technical of generations. I walked through the Bible. It doesn't take me long to talk about God's ability. He was able to speak, and the heavens and earth came into being. God created the heavens and the earth with such amazing, amazing synchronization. He spoke, and that which was not became. He's able to create heaven and earth. He was able to part the Red Sea. I read my Bible and see how he parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk across. He was able to keep Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego from burning in the fiery oven. He was able to close the mouths of lions so that Daniel would not perish in the lion's den. Able to stop the enemy in Gideon's day. Able to stop the sun from going down in Moses' day of battle. Able to bring down the walls of Jericho in Joshua's day. Able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. God is able. God is able. And when I talk about God, I want to talk about the ability of God to do things that that humanly we can't accomplish. Because if I don't do that, the next generation will say, somebody will find an app for that. Somebody will find a fix for that. Someone will find a solution to that. No, God already has a solution. Now you know, if you read the New Testament, we get it over and over again. Listen to these verses. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Not to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He is able to aid those who are tempted. He is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Not to him who is able to establish you or he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. I mean, over and over in the Bible, the God is able, he is all over the place. Yes. Now, I talked about my home and my parents. I have to tell you, that my mom had a he is able verse for every problem I ever came up with. (laughs) And I came up with a lot of problems. Some of them others created, some of them I created. She had a God is able verse for me every single time. I love a mom like that. I needed a mom like that. The next generation needs someone in the present generation, an older person in this generation to say, To a person facing challenges, they cannot fathom how they'll get over those challenges. They need to hear people say, God is able. I've got the years behind me. I've got the decades behind me to be able to be qualified to say that, that no matter what happens in life, God is able. We need to have those three words in our vocabulary and talk about the works that God has done. That's part of passing on faith to the next generation is talking about what we know he's able to do. It's not just a story. It's a testimony of God's power. So that when people come face to face with adversity that they can't imagine getting through, you can say to them, I've experienced it. You will experience it. God is able. God is able. The third thing we pass on, according to Psalm 78, is what God has demonstrated. The line there in verse 4 says, and his wondrous works that he has Done. And the psalmist was referring to things he had heard that God had done, but also would include extraordinary miraculous things God had done in the people's lives. Now what that means in terms of application is being real with those of the next generation about the prayers that God has answered in your life, the provision that He has made in your life. It means having conversations in a church context where we, the people of God, Can hear what God did in someone else's life and hope and pray he'll do that in our life. Listen, if you're not in community, if you're not in a small group, if you're not hearing how God is answering prayers, you're missing part of what it takes to pass on faith to the next generation. That's why we want you in small groups and connection groups. That's why we want you to hear what God did in somebody else's life with their prayers so that you'd be encouraged in your prayers so that you can pass on to the next generation how God worked in your life. So how God works is a big part of how we pass faith on. And that's why the church is so important. You know, and this is not a church attendance rally, but when you miss church, you miss the testimonies that happen during the week that God has worked in somebody else's life. You miss hearing that answered prayer that somebody prayed with you the week before and now you know that you prayed for something that God answered. You miss the provision stories that are being told whenever someone needs something that God provides. You miss the healing stories that are shared whenever someone comes and says, look what God did in my life or in somebody else's life. And and in, in a sense, what you miss is fuel for the fire of passing on to the next generation. We have to have those stories. We have to pass those stories on. Number four, the stories of his faithfulness. Verse 5, where he establish a testimony in Jacob. So here is a specific testimony through a specific person and family. The application would be, what has God done in your family that you pass on to the next generation? Now, I've got a great story of my family. My great-grandma, Castle, she was known as Mama Castle. And when I was 10 years old, I... I was in Tennessee where she lived, and and she lived in this little farmhouse out on a farm, and um, she was a woman that mostly sat in her chair all the time that I was in the house and read her Bible, and she had almost lost all of her eyesight by the time I got to know Mama Castle, but I was told she had read through the Bible 50 times before she lost her eyesight, and she was still trying to read through the Bible after she lost her eyesight. She was a praying woman. And one of the stories I heard after I was called to preach is that Mama Castle prayed that God would raise up in her family a line of preachers. And the first one to be raised up was my father. who was a rebel until he heard the call to preach. And um, I didn't hear the whole story until I was called to preach. And then they told me the whole story. And I realized, wow, I thought I was in control of my life. Mama Castle was in control of my life. I, sometimes I tell that story so that my kids can know this. There's a spiritual heritage here, a spiritual influence, a testimony from one generation to the other that is undeniable. It's undeniable. You can't argue you, your way out of that fact that God has used people in our family. We have a testimony in this family, just like there was a testimony in Jacob. And if you have no story of God's faithfulness in your family's past, allow him to provide that story in you and pass it on to the next generation because it's your story of what God has done. You know, it's so important to be able to say to somebody that's of the next generation, anybody younger than you, let me tell you, let me tell you a story of what God did in my life. If you don't introduce that, sometimes people think that you did that or that through your wisdom or ingenuity or whatever it is, that was accomplished. But just to pause and say, let me tell you a story about what God did in our family or what God did in my life. No matter how secular, no matter how relativistic a person listening to that is, they have to give to the fact that you experience God in a special way. That it will linger in their minds until they reconcile it in some way. Pass on the testimony. Pass on God's faithfulness to the next generation. Then number five, the laws and values He's given. The last thing it says here is in verse five, "...and appointed a law in Israel." Now I like the fact that this list doesn't begin with the law but it ends with the law. What God says to us in the law and in the statutes makes much more sense to our minds when viewed through the eyes of His love and commitment to us. That way, we see God's commandments as being for us, as being a part of what God is doing with us and around us, and not just these 10 things that you must do, but we see God's law as being something that helps us, that enables us to live according to His alignment and according to His values. I love that it's last and to the first. But nevertheless, when I share with the next generation, I tell them why it's always wise just to live under the commands of God instead of rebellious to the commands of God. And after they hear the reality of a relationship, the reality of the experience we have with God, all of a sudden the character of God, the realness of God, the authenticity of a God in our lives, those commands are very easy to want to come under so it's important for us to pass these things on did Rami chapter 6 verses 6 through 9 very famous statement after the shema exactly part of the shema and it says this in verse 6. It says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when, you're, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand that shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So, Deuteronomy is telling us, and let me paraphrase, lest your heart, your home, your walls, your doors, whatever you wear, and whatever you say, point to the God you worship. I don't want to use the phrase, wear the brand of God, but we wear the brand of everything else, don't we? I mean, everybody knows that I'm a Dallas Cowboys football fan, I tell them. And everybody knows that I don't think they'll ever win a Super Bowl again in my lifetime. <laughs> But I'm still a fan. My family knows there's only one truck on the road. That's a Ford truck. They know my brand. My truck, my Ford truck has never been found on road dead. Never. They know my favorite food. They know my favorite restaurant. I'm a Tex-Mex guy, and I'm going to Laha after church. Everybody knows that. Now, why do I know? Why, why do I pass that stuff on? I pass that stuff on to my family because that stuff is important to me. Right. You know what's more important to me than all those things? God. That's Amen. who's more important to me. Amen. and He's more important to you than all those other things. Yes. As freely as you talk about your football, as freely as you talk about your forward, as freely as you talk about your food, you talk about your God. Amen. And you pass on to the next generation who he is in your life. There's this great little statement in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, where Paul is writing to Timothy. Most people don't know that Timothy was raised in kind of a mixed home. He has a Greek father, and most suspect that this Greek father never came to Christ, at least not by the time of this writing. And Paul is calling Timothy to be a a son in the faith. And he makes this statement in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He said, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Amen. Do you count how many generations he's talking about there, right there? He's talking about a grandmother, Lois, a mother, Eunice, and also in Timothy. And Timothy later became a very prominent leader in the New Testament. So what does that say? It says somebody had a baton. And that somebody didn't have the ideal home in which to pass it off. But they were able to pass it off. Amen. And that grandmother and that mother had such an influence over Timothy. That now Paul is calling Timothy to be with him a son in the faith. Wow. Wow a prominent leader. So this text goes on and tells us something else. It answers the question, what do we hope to accomplish? If we do all those things, what's the goal? What's the net goal that we're moving for? And you find it in verse 6 and 7. It says, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, and here it is, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. Yes. Put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Now, notice the end connective here. It puts these two phrases together, and, and we can say it like this. Remembering God's works gives us confidence in Him in the future. We're to pass on to the next generation all the great things that God has done in our life, and for them to remember the works of God that happen in our lives as we told the story, it helps them to put their confidence in God in their generation. They can learn to hope in God. And that faith can live on. It has the potential to live on if we pass the baton. Well, it doesn't guarantee that it will catch in every next generation, but it guarantees that we've been faithful to do our job of passing that baton on. You know, when the baton runner runs his leg, the relay runner runs his leg, and he hands the baton off, or she hands the baton off to the next runner, do you know what they do after they hand the baton off? They step off the track. They step off the track because their job is done. They've run the race, they've handed off the baton, and they step off the track. Because it's the responsibility of that next person who now has the baton to do the very same thing to the next generation. See, I want you to think about that for just a moment. There's some of you in this room that are living out reality as I do. And sometimes you ask the question, Lord, what if they disregard you in your ways? And all the attempts that we have of passing faith on to the next generation, whether it be our children or our grandchildren or great-grandchildren for, for some, or just younger people that I'm around, what if they disregard your ways? What have I done wrong? You ever asked that question? Don't need to take a hand display of who has asked that question, but I have asked that question many times. I want you to remember three things. Remember three things. First of all, faithful parents and teachers sometimes see children disregard God. Sometimes that happens. It happens frequently in this generation. It's important for you to note that Psalm 78 is written in that context. I've mentioned that earlier, but if you go back and look at verse eight, it references that. So if the generation to come won't be like the generation that's been, Who have ignored God, who have denied God, who have disregarded God. This psalm actually references that. It happens. A few years ago, I spoke with a young man uh, who attends our church, and he's a very prominent business person and uh, a, a great man of faith. And we were talking about his family. I was getting to know him. And he told me about his mom and his dad and just talked about their faith and the reality that they were great, great parents. I said, Well, do you have any brothers and sisters? He said, Yeah, I've got a brother. And I said, Well, what's he like? He said exactly the opposite of me. I said, What? What do you mean? He said, Well, he's been in and out of jail a lot. He said he's had drug problems, he's had all kinds of problems in life. And he said, The funny thing is, he said, we were both raised in the same environment, we both had the same opportunities, we both had the same two parents. He said, I can't figure out what's gone wrong with my brother. And I said, theologically speaking, it's free will. Amen. It's free will. It's the fact that you had a choice, you chose Christ, you put your faith in Christ, and he has not. That is a big deal. That's right. And the truth is, not all embrace faith. And sometimes it's the most difficult thing in the world for us to handle. You know, we can control a lot of things as parents. I enjoyed parenting most when my kids were under the age of 18. You know why? Because I could fix the problems they had. <laughs> And under age 10, I can fix them real fast. (laughs) But after they get over 18, 20 years old, you don't fix them at all. You ask God to fix them. You pray, you counsel, you're available, but you can't fix what they have. So the key is to pass the baton off in a clear conscience. Doing your absolute best to bring them to the place place of knowing your faith and knowing what you have experienced with God and letting them then experience the Lord in their own life that they may have their own faith. Second statement I'm going to give you is this. Some disregard God for his season and then return. The Bible has a number of stories of that, one of them being the prodigal son. Isn't that a great story? I mean, here's a guy that had everything. He he said, "Not only do I want everything, I want everything now. Give me my inheritance." He goes off and spends it and riotous living. He comes to the end of himself. He says, "I'll return to my father, just to be a servant, because I don't deserve to be a son." And the father is standing there waiting for him and embraces him and says, "No, you're a son. Kill the fatted calf." That's the prodigal son in one minute or less, right there. Uh, the powerful picture is a compassionate father that's waiting for this one to come back but the reality is he's waiting for the prodigal some disregard God for a season and then return years ago uh, my wife and I read a book by Ruth Graham Bell or Ruth Bell Graham the wife of Billy Graham and it was about their family the title of the book was prodigals and those who love him love them and uh, in that book, she details two sons that they had that were rebels. They weren't following the faith of Billy Graham and his wife. And, and one of them was Franklin Graham. And she tells the story, great story, of being at a drive-in, like a sonnet drive-in. And Franklin was so, so disobedient, so loud, so disruptive that she, she, she opened the car door, pulled him out, opened the trunk, put him in the trunk, and shut the trunk. She actually did that. <laughs> And I read that and I thought, well, if she got away with it, I could get away with that. (laughs) She actually did that. I mean, that's in her book. I mean, I might do that, but I wouldn't write a book about it, right? (laughs) I don't know how long the law, the statutes are for that kind of thing, but nonetheless. My point is, Franklin Graham today preaches the gospel. You don't always know where someone's going to be because you don't know the whole picture. But what you do know is that sometimes people disregard God for a season and then they return. Pass the baton and leave the rest to God. That's all you can do. The third thing I'll say to you is we all stand before God alone. Man, as much as I'd want to hold my kid's hand when he stands before God, I can't do that. As much as I'd want to shield them, give excuses for them, Give reasons for them. Can't do that. Each of us will stand before God alone. That's important for us to tell them that, but it's also important for you to know Amen. you can't take it all the way home. They have to take it all the way home. Amen. They have to put their faith in God, they have to trust Him but I want you to remember that the same God who called you is capable of calling them. The same God that got your attention is capable of getting their attention. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. Amen. So be faithful to what you're called to. Trust his faithfulness to complete it. Tell the stories that God has worked in your life. Make sure the next generation knows what He's done. And whatever your calling is, whatever it is, be diligent to pass that baton off in the best possible way. Then trust God through prayer and through waiting. That's the call we have in our lives. That's the baton that we are to hand off to the next generation. You know, a recent race uh, that was on uh, television... Uh, involved international teams and one team in particular dropped the baton in the baton handoff and uh, it was a group of females who were running the 4 by 100 and you only have a short amount of distance to cover of course and so they uh, dropped the baton and, and one of the one of the runners took a step back and got the baton and then realized they were already out of the handoff zone. So they went all the way back to the handoff zone and then made the proper baton handoff and then finally ran the race. And of course, they came in dead, dead last. The important thing for us to know today about baton handoffs is that you just get one chance to do it. And it's so important that you're fully focused and fully present in what you're handing off. You only got one shot, but give it your best shot. Give it your all. Have a clear conscience in doing that and trust God with the results. I'm going to give you three invitations today as I always do. Number one, we've talked about a great deal about what God has done in our lives and how we have testimonies. I think every one of us would say this today, that the greatest testimony we have is that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, and offer eternal life to us, and we want our kids to have that faith in Jesus Christ. By the same token, I would say, if you've never experienced the reality of the forgiveness of God that swallows up the holiness of God in your life, in other words, the judgment that that you rightly deserve, that I rightly deserve, swallowed up by the forgiveness of God, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of God demonstrated on the cross by Jesus Christ today, we want you to know that. We want you to put your trust in Jesus for forgiveness, to make you whole, to make you clean, to give you a faith that you can pass on. You can't pass on what you've never had. That's right. And as you leave in just a few moments, the invitation will be to stop at this decision station that is on either side of our building on your way out. Talk to somebody about that. We want to encourage that. Secondly, I invite you to a guest reception room where I'll talk with you just a few moments about Cross City Church and next steps. We'd love for you to do that. Thirdly, I invite you to invite somebody as they come back next week, as we go deeper into relationships with those around us. Such an important thing that we live out relationships well. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I am so grateful today for your word, for the calling that you put on our lives, for the baton that we're supposed to hand off. Lord, thank you that for generations now, batons have been... Being handed off, faith has passed from generation to generation. Thank you so much for those who've come before me that helped me know you personally. And Lord, I pray that I can be faithful. And I know all in the room want that faithfulness testimony in their life. Father, direct us to make the decisions, to take the steps that will lead to knowing you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and dismiss. And God bless.